Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. What do you? Why do you enjoy leaving London? So I don't much? know. It's just busy and everyone's in a rush, and I, I don't. I don't oh, subscribe me. to the he big sa- cliche. He, sounds, he just sounds like someone that's been to London one time, doesn't he? I've been to London at least four times. <laughs> I'll have you know. Four times. Yeah. At all. What's probably probably more than that. Actually. Okay. Yeah. And the play was good. It was very good. Yeah. Yeah. Is it still going? Can we share out a recommendation yeah, do you wanna, for it? Do you want to plug it? No. Do you want to plug uh, it? It's yeah. actually, that was the end of the, the run, but they are thinking of taking it on tour, uh, possibly around the UK and even around Europe. It's called Eclipsed. Um, it's written by uh, Patricia Burke Brogan, no relation. Um, and yeah, it's it's a harrowing story of the uh, Irish Magdalene Laundry sisters and all that jazz. So not a romantic comedy? No, there, there, there is lightness in there, but, uh, but not okay. a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> He sounds like he's plugged it before. That wasn't the first time. <laughs> no, he's got that. He had that down pat. And your other half is a star. My significant other was, uh, yeah, she produced and uh, was was in it. Yeah, Produced and was in it? Mm. Wow. Yeah. And she's with you. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's enough of that. Joining me, Ian McCourt, on today's One Football Podcast is Dan Burke. Yo. And a belated season debut for Lewis Ambrose. Hello. Should you wish to get in touch, dear listeners, the email to send your love, abuse, or indeed any sponsorship to, mm-hmm, yeah, see what I did there, is podcast at onefootball.com, or you can do it the old-fashioned way and get onto iTunes, give the pod a rating, and leave a comment to let us know how you think we are doing. So, gentlemen, it was International Week, and if Ireland's games against Georgia or Serbia were anything to go by, it was arguably the worst week in the history of football. I don't know if either of you saw this. No, I had better things to do. Yeah, sorry. No, I mean, my my wife came into me and said, uh, she was working late last night and came into me and watching, I mean, I was watching the game and she asked me if there was something wrong. I looked so terrible while watching that game. That's how bad it was. But anyway, there was one exception to this and it's a story that you were all over, Dan. It's the one about Syria and their first attempt to reach the World Cup in Russia next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you could fill in the listeners for, for maybe a bit of the background and then what happened yesterday. Yeah, unbelievable story. Um, you know, we all know the, the situation in Syria. There's been a, a civil war there for six years. Uh, 400,000 people have been killed during that time under um, Assad's uh, brutal regime. Um, half the, the pre-war population has been displaced from the country as well. Um, so the very fact they're able to get a team together is remarkable in itself. Uh, they actually got to the third uh, qualifying round for the World Cup in the uh, the Asia Confederation. Um, last night was the final group game. They played Iran in Tehran. Uh, Iran had uh, not conceded a single goal in qualifying. They qualified in June. Um, Managed uh, by Carlos Queiroz. Carlos Queiroz, yeah. yeah. Um, in fact, I think it amounted to uh, 1,121 minutes without a goal. Uh, Tough place then, to go, right? Very much so, yeah. And, and Syria took the lead after 13 minutes in the final group game. They needed they needed to win um, to guarantee themselves a spot in the playoffs, um, or they could have they could have automatically gone into the World Cup with the win last night, depending on the result uh, going on in uh, a game between Uzbekistan and South Korea. Um, so Syria went went one up, and we were all watching uh, in rapture in the office. Uh, unfortunately, Iran uh, fought back, uh, and they went two one up in the second half. And to make matters worse, we were, I, I was sort of trying to write a, a report on the final whistle and uh, we were we were following the Syria game on TV and we were following the Uzbekistan game on the live feed on the FIFA website. Um, and FIFA were reporting that Uzbekistan had gone 1-0 up, which would have meant that they qualified for the first World Cup in their history um, and Syria would have been out. So I'm writing the story as, as if Uzbekistan have qualified for the first ever World Cup and Syria didn't they do well kind of thing. 
Uh, and then FIFA said, oh no, sorry, Uzbekistan haven't scored. It's actually still nil-nil. Uh, this is like the, going into injury time of the Syria game. It's still this 2 was on down. the official FIFA website. The official FIFA website. They we, even named we, the scorer. I can't remember. Up, we looked around for other sources and no other football website was reporting a goal for Uzbekistan but FIFA. So we thought, well, surely FIFA know what's going yeah, on. Yeah. Mm, you, would, you would think FIFA know what's going on. Yeah, and then all of a sudden... Uh, Syria get a break on uh, through on goal a guy slips it through the goalkeeper's legs to make it 2-2 um, cue Bedlam in the one football office and in Tehran and all the thousands of people who were watching on the streets of Damascus in Syria um, it was an absolutely unbelievable moment which means that they will now go into the playoffs uh, as third place in the group and we're playing Australia in the next round and what happens if they beat Australia? If they beat Australia, they will then have another playoff uh, in November. God, that's against hard. The that's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it is, yeah. I think it's because the Asia Federation has less teams than the other ones, so yeah. they have to have a playoff round and then another playoff. And they will play the fourth-place team in the CONCACAF uh, group, uh, which at this moment in time is the United States of America. It is. Which will be incredibly interesting. They've got one more game to go uh, next month against Panama, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, um, they, they play Panama and Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, so they've got two, right. Uh, okay. Well, Honduras are playing Mexico and Costa Rica. So mm. I think we can expect it to be Honduras. But as things stand, it would be America. Wow. Yeah. Which raises an interesting political question, whether <laughs> the Syrian players would be allowed into America for the game. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Our colleague Toby Herman actually made that joke last night. He said you could imagine Syria winning the first leg and Donald Trump denying them visas for the second leg. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the... I, I mean, they, they, they don't play their games obviously in Syria. No, they play, they've been playing in uh, Malaysia, um, 70,000 kilometres away or something like that. Um, they, they can't play in Syria because most of the stadiums have been destroyed um, during the conflict and there's various security issues. So, you know, all things considered, they've also had a lot of the players um, refuse to play um, during the past five years. Some of them have exiled themselves from Syria in protest at Assad's regime. Um, and a couple of them came back. In fact, the guy who scored the equalising goal last night, uh, Al Soma, um, made his first competitive appearance in five years for Syria just last week when they beat, they beat Qatar. And, uh, and he scored the, the equalising goal last night. What a story. And if you haven't already checked it out, it's worth looking up the commentary yeah. of mm. the of the goal, which is just the Syrian commentary of the goal, which is just outstanding. Spine tingling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Get, yeah, gets the goosebumps going. So that's the feel good story for today. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of feel good stories, what about England? <laughs> nah. Anything worth mentioning over the two games there at all? I don't think so. Really, You've both no. got bl- uh, bl- I, yeah. uh, my my take from the two games would be to say how desperately England miss Adam Lallana. Oh, that's when, interesting. When he's not playing, I think everybody else is quite a, quite direct, quite thoughtless on the ball at times. And Lalana injects something a bit more flexible, a bit more creative into the midfield. And I think the player who probably suffers most is Deli Alley. I've seen a lot of criticism for his, I think, two goals for England in over 20 appearances, essentially playing as a striker. Um I thought you were going to mention criticism for his one finger gesture to oh, Walker. <laughs> no, that's gone really under the radar. Um, yeah, and maybe born out of frustration that he's not performing well for England. But I think you look at his former club level when he's got Christian Eriksen next to him pulling the strings, so he doesn't have to really get involved in creating play. And I think Lalana would carry that burden for England and maybe allow Ali to play a bit better. Okay, it's an interesting take. Uh, one thing, one story that emerged um, today on Wednesday is that England are going to employ a full-time psychologist. Gareth Southgate has identified England's weakness going into big tournaments. <laughs> you'll never guess what it is, and he's going. England are going to employ a full-time psychologist. Don't know if it'll make any difference. We'll see. <laughs> there was one more thing depressing 
than the football in Georgia uh, over the international break. And that was the idiotic German friends at the Czech Republic game. Yeah, it was. Um, and first things first, we, we probably shouldn't blame the German fans. It was a very small minority, of course. Um, so the, the German FA sold 1,200 tickets for their game in Prague. And they were all sold to regular match-going fans. There were 200 or so other fans, neo-Nazis, who made their way to Prague from East Germany. And they didn't really... Well, it was unsavoury, the scenes. There were reports that in Prague, the days leading up to the game, there were bars playing fascist music, essentially under the threat that if you don't play our fascist music, we're going to smash up the bar and beat you up. Um, So there were actually bars in Prague reportedly playing music from that era very awful awful stuff um so yeah about 200 neo-nazis they they don't go to germany home games they're not allowed the german fa have done a really good job of making sure it's very difficult to get tickets for them what they can do is get away uh, tickets to away games, and that's exactly what they did. There were tickets available. Is that because rules are slightly looser uh, elsewhere? I think you go online through the Czech FA, and they probably don't carry out the thorough as thorough checks as the mm. German FA. Um, yeah, so especially games in Eastern Europe can be tricky for Germany because there are more people of that persuasion in the east of Germany. It's not far to travel to Prague. It's just across the border. So, yeah, around 200 fans went. They got tickets in blocks neighbouring the away end. They weren't actually among the official Mm travelling fans. Um, And during the game, sang some Nazi chants. They abused some German players. Ms. Ozil apparently picked up some abuse in a a chant telling foreigners to get out um, of the country. Timo Werner was called a son of a bitch, as he often is when he's travelling with RB Leipzig. And there were anti-DFB chants, which have happened up and down the country domestically, but haven't been seen following the national team at all. So, as I say, it's all very unsavoury. Ultras from these clubs, all of the Bundesliga clubs that chant against the DFB, they don't follow the national team. They don't go to away games. This isn't something that we've seen. So at the end of the game, having won 2-1, dramatically late on, Mats Hummels scored the winner um, and the players decided amongst themselves they wouldn't go to the fans. They wouldn't thank the away fans for their support. They turned a blind eye, a blind eye from them. They decided to pretty much, well, completely condemn the situation. And yeah, it, it looks bleak. Timo Werner himself said you know what's not far from Prague, do the math yourself, referring to Ooh. areas in East Germany yeah. where Nazi or AfD, for example, get a lot of support politically. Yeah, uh, they also whistled the, both national anthems and during a minute silence before the game. But I, yeah, I would like to stress, it was around 200 fans in neighbouring blocks, not the travelling Germany fans who go to every Germany game. Um, Still depressing nonetheless. Yeah, and I think there was some trouble in Ukraine and Poland last year. Mm-hmm. And with East Germany not being a million miles away from Russia, I think there are reasons for concern in the summer. I, yeah. I think these people will travel to cause havoc whether or not they have tickets. I, mm. I think we can all agree that they aren't there because they're football fans. Yeah. Of course, against the Czech Republic, it was Mesut Ozil who set up the opening goal for Timo Werner, who we've both mentioned. And then he scored a beauty in the route of Norway, as well as setting up one for Julian Draxler. Uh, I saw one person tweet, would love the German Ozil to play for Arsenal and not his long-lost twin. 
So why the big difference, Lewis? You're our Arsenal Germany expert. Yeah, I know you've not, not you've not brought me in until Arsenal season is capitulating. <laughs> Just a coincidence. Uh, early this season. Um, Mesut plays in a better team for Germany. Real Madrid's Mesut was quite good. It was great. And I think Arsenal aren't Real Madrid and Arsenal aren't Germany. They don't have the same players. And moreover, they don't have the same unity or tactical intelligence and understanding of the game and what their teammates want. So I I think it's quite simple. Mesut Ozil plays for a better team and it's easier to play well when you're surrounded by a team that's playing well. Is, there's I, no difference in his positioning or anything like that from what I could see. He he, he plays pretty much as a number 10 for both. Mm-hmm. He, he has quite a free role for Arsenal. Um, and I guess I when you have Kadira behind you as opposed to, say, Granit Xhaka or Aaron Ramsey, it makes well, a big difference. And Timo Werner ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And, but he doesn't play with bad players. For Arsenal, you see the way Granit Xhaka and Aaron Ramsey play for their countries. This isn't a Mesut Ozil exclusive theme. Mm-hmm. Um, Alexis Sanchez. And I, I think Mesut Ozil is and has been for some time a, a scapegoat for Arsenal's issues. I don't know if it's because until this summer he was the club's most expensive signing, but after the, the horrific game at Anfield, just before the international break, there were headlines. I think the Telegraph ran with a headline, at least on, on online, saying... Um, Arsenal, you know, uh, embarrassed at Anfield, uh, despite Alexis Sanchez's best efforts. Alexis Sanchez was dreadful at Anfield, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, he can do no wrong. Well, apparently mm, not. No. He's interestingly taken to Instagram after Chile's loss last night, complaining that he gets too much criticism back home. Oh God! Um, I think he probably does, though. I think the Chile <laughs> really go in on him, don't they? Yeah. And, and uh, they do. Nadal did a similar thing yeah, last but, week. But yeah. certainly back in England, uh, Alexis Sanchez is the darling of the media because he chases around very hard and uh, well I, I think that's pretty much the reason okay. uh, it's capable of spectacular moments but Mesut Ozil's pretty much in large parts carried Arsenal over the last three or four years and the team have let him down it's not the other way around just to interject before you Dan I just had some interesting stats about Mesut Ozil he, since he joined the league in 2013 he's the most final third passes completed created the most chances made the most successful crosses and recorded the most assists I was going to say the exact same thing. Oh, were you? <laughs> in fact, yeah. he's created 10 chances this season as well, which is more than any other player in the Premier League. It doesn't League. sound like a player letting his team down, Not really, as no. many would have you believe. And isn't the thing about Alexis Sanchez that his stats aren't very good as well, so you kind of think, well... Yeah. It, well, Wenger, was, Wenger was complaining about his stats. Yeah, yeah, there, there was an interesting enough. stat posted by Sky towards the back end of last season, something like... Uh, Mesut Ozil runs more per game than Alexis Sanchez and he he runs further and he runs further more often than than Alexis does which isn't what people have in mind I think when they think of the two players. Now, speaking of Arsenal it's good that we have you here because we have a little question from a listener Swapnil Shangel asks should Thomas Tuchel replace Wenger? Uh, if Arsene Wenger were to choose to leave Arsenal I think Thomas Tuchel would be top of the list. So you'd be happy enough with Tuchel? Yeah I, I, there were some some murmurings, at least in North London, that Arsenal actually spoke to Thomas Tuchel at the back end of last year when they weren't mm. sure if Arsene Wenger would renew his contract. It's hard to see Arsenal sacking Wenger or Wenger walking away. It is, isn't it? Especially in the... He's, so he signed a two-year contract, especially in the middle of the season. If the season goes really badly, they could meet a mu- reach a mutual agreement in the summer, I think. But halfway through a season or four games into a season, I don't think that's something that we'll have to worry about very soon. Okay. Uh, just before the international break came along and spoiled the party, there was the end of the transfer window. We've had a few days to think about it. And Dan, you've had a few days to get over the Alexis deal. 
or lack thereof. Are you as heartbroken as you were when Zabaleta left the club? Uh, no, <laughs> nothing will be as heartbreaking as that, I don't think, no. Okay. Uh, it was disappointing, yeah, because the, the way the sort of deadline day panned out, um, I was in the office during the day and I was kind of looking forward to getting home that night and watching the, uh, the, the the transfers unfold and then by the time I sort of got home from work, the deal was off. Yeah. It was uh, it was a bit annoying, but um, yeah. Lucky that we have you here then because the game of the weekend involves your Manchester City against Liverpool. Mm. It's usually a good game. Always a good game, pretty much. I think, well, there was a game uh, played on New Year's Eve at Anfield last year that was pretty poor. Um, but aside from that, yeah, it's usually usually a very entertaining game. I think they are arguably the two most entertaining sides in the league. Um, and the, the, they've got two uh, managers with very similar styles of play um, who, who play to kind of entertain. Um, so, yeah, I think we're, we're, we've got a, a very interesting and exciting match in store. Can we talk about Sergio Aguero versus Jesus? Yeah, we not can, Jesus, yeah. the religious icon. <laughs> more Jesus, the Brazilian goal-scoring icon. Mm-hmm. How's that going to work out? Um, well, I would imagine um, that this weekend they will both play from the start together um, in the, the three-five-two that Pep has gone with a few times this season, or five-three-two, whatever you want to call it. Um, it'll be the first time that he's had an opportunity to play uh, Kyle Walker and Benjamin Mondi together since um, since they both signed. Oh, Walker's back uh, from Walker's suspension. Back from suspension. Mm-hmm. Um, so I imagine it will go with that system. I've not been wholly convinced by it so far. Um, just in terms of, of of Guerrero and Jesus, really, I don't think they they've formed a partnership at all yet. Um, Is there like... a bit of tension there at all? Do you kind of think Aguero's the established, almost top goal scorer from? Manchester City Mm -hmm. and here's this young buck coming in taking his place I think that there's definitely an argument to be made that Aguero isn't sure of his future and is a little bit unhappy at the moment and he was left on the bench for the Bournemouth game uh, before the international break um, and that that wasn't the first time that happened to him that happened to him last season as well Um, so his props got every right to to wonder why Um, because he still scored 33 goals last season yeah I mean it was it was ridiculous this this bad season that he had was was, like you say he scored so many goals but if you actually sort of watched City on a regular basis as I did um, I, I don't think Aguero is necessarily a Guardiola type player and I don't think Guardiola is convinced by him and I can I can see why because he, his link up play isn't really good he's a very instinctive um, almost selfish player to, to in a good way because he's a great goal scorer and he's a fantastic player don't get me wrong but for Guardiola I'm not entirely sure that he's the player he needs Sounds like you're weakening in your love of Aguero I still love him a little yeah. bit doesn't it? Yeah. It does It does mm-hmm. Okay uh, So there's no Sterling this weekend after that Idiotic sending off mm. last weekend, and I mean idiotic from the referee's mm. point of view, yeah. not from I mean the, Sterling's the, point the of view. rules, are, well, the laws. I think they yeah. like to call them. They're they're just not right, are they? No, My not. question to Mike Dean: If we had Mike Dean in the studio, which mm-hmm. we don't, fortunately, because he'd probably come on though if you asked him. He's yeah, he, he probably would. You think um, so? Well, if you're listening, Mike Dean, we'd love to have you on. <laughs> My question would be, why not book every single Man City player? There were eight or nine players. That book all the, the fans crowd. as well. If you, yeah. well, didn't, the, yeah. didn't the Bournemouth player whose name escapes me right now, didn't he jump into the crowd for his goal? I think uh, he did. Daniels. Charlie Daniels. Might have been, yeah. the goal. Uh, Gundogan, is he back this week? No, I don't think so. Oh, I don't think okay. he's quite ready yet. Scrap that piece mm. of uh, that question then. Just <laughs> being as careful as possible with him. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's played for the um, the under twenty threes or something during the international break, and he played in a friendly. So he's not far away, but I don't think um, he'll make it this week. Okay, I have a Liverpool question for the both of you. How hard is it going to be to integrate Coutinho back into the squad? <laughs> um, uh, I would actually question if it's going to damage the form of the team integrating Ooh. Coutinho. I think the team have been playing brilliantly. I think. Salah and Mane out wide suit Klopp much more than Coutinho playing in one of those positions. And I would have my doubts about him playing in the more robust role that 
Gigi Wijnaldum plays, for example. So I I wonder if, not just Coutinho, but Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. I, I don't think the players will have any issue playing alongside him. I think he's an excellent player. They've enjoyed playing with him. And I think everyone can understand if you want to move to Barcelona. And don't now, think there'd be any tension in the dressing room over him saying, well, this club's not really for me and I want to go somewhere bigger and now I, he's I, stuck there. I think there would be if it wasn't Barcelona or Real Madrid, but I think everybody understands the situation when one of those two come in for you. I would say. I want more I, drama. You're giving me a reasonable answer here. But I, I think the drama's going to come when Liverpool play Coutinho and maybe don't look as good. And I, I'm sure we're going to get questions about whether his head's in it, whether he wants to be there, but I think it might just be that he doesn't suit as well, I I think last season, throughout last season, Sadio Mane was much more important to Liverpool and mm. a much better fit for Klopp um, and probably performed better than Coutinho on the whole as well. And I think on the other wing now with Salah, they've got two very similar players. And I think fitting Coutinho in somewhere is going to be a bit of shoehorning. And where's, uh, talk about fitting in, where are we going to fit Oxlade-Chamberlain into that side? <laughs> is he going to fit into that side? I don't. I, I, I'm still baffled by that transfer, to be honest with you. I really am. I mean, you, you've watched him a lot more than me, Lewis, but I've, yeah. I've never seen a more average footballer cost £40 million, I don't think. And there was yet more Kyle evidence Walker. of it when he's, uh, he's playing for England. I think Kyle Walker's quite a good player, though, isn't he? I, I just, £50 million just still seems well, excessive yeah. to me. But where can he fit in? There was a lot of talk of him maybe playing in that sort of Adam Lallana type of role? Yeah, I mean, there was there was that talk. So he, he supposedly rejected Chelsea because he wasn't going to be used in central midfield at Chelsea. It's supposedly the big problem that he had at Arsenal. that He's he, being played at a right that, back. That he was playing right back or left back or and he's always seen himself as having a future as a centre midfielder. Um, I don't share that view. Uh, I I think his decision making just lets him down. He has pretty much every attribute you would want, but he doesn't put put it all together often enough or consistently enough. And the way Liverpool have been playing, I struggle to see where he's going to fit in. I mean, Nathaniel Klein's injured, so maybe he's just moved to play right back somewhere else. Well, yeah, and he's going to be out for a significant amount of time. Yeah, probably, like Klopp said yesterday, the majority of Liverpool's Champions League group stage games. So he's not been included in the Champions League squad. So they could be without Klein until Christmas almost. Uh, Maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain's just moved to play right back for someone else it's worth mentioning that James Milner went to Liverpool to play central midfield yeah. as well and is playing left back now yeah, so yeah. one quick question before I get a prediction from you both is Ben Woodburn going to be the greatest player of all time <laughs> <laughs> he already is isn't he he's already better than Bale that's for sure <laughs> well I watched the goal he scored against um, Austria the winning goal he scored against Austria I watched it back this morning Great strike, no doubt about that. But for me, the best part was the touch he used to set himself up for. If you go back and look at it, the ball was coming from a height. He was moving away from the goal and he just killed it stone dead and set himself up perfectly. And he had the positional awareness to be in the right place and create enough time and space to to score. At 17, through 261 seconds into your Wales debut... That's pretty good. Mm. It is. Have you seen the the context of the goal is in within the stadium as well? Yeah. Uh, the spontaneously the crowd decided to sing the national anthem, and oh, yeah. the the ball was cleared or semi cleared from the box to Woodburn as the national anthem ended, and it's a ridiculous minute and a half. Mm. Uh, if you can find, I think the official Welsh FA account tweeted it, and if yeah, if you can find that footage, it is well worth listening to. He also, he also got the assist and broke the deadlock against Moldova. 
So fair play, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick prediction then for the weekend, Dan. For the City Liverpool game. City Liverpool. Uh, I think it'll be a 2 2 draw. Ooh. Yeah, I'd love City to win, but I think it'll be a draw. Lewis? 2 uh, 1 for City. Good man. Now, if you thought all that Premier League talk meant the end of the international guff, you were wrong because we've dialed up Nima Tavile from Sempre Inter to talk to us about one of the few standout games, Italy against Spain. Nima, 3-0 to Spain. What went wrong for Italy? Well, what went wrong was basically uh, Ventura, the Italian national coach's tactic of playing the 4-2-4 against uh, Spain away. It went exactly as planned, straight to hell, because you can't go to Spain and play and think that you're going to out-Spain Spain in their backyard playing the kind of football that they play. It's basically, I mean, for me, Ventura has always been a... It been a, a poor man's version of Cesare Prandelli. And I'm not too keen on the original, let alone this little tight knockoff of the original. So, uh, no, I, it went exactly... I mean, for me, it was, it was the games were pretty much identical to the European Championship final in 2012 when when Italy... When, when Prandelli thought he was going to outplay Spain by playing Spain's game and ended up losing 4-0. Um, it's the same thing here. You, you know, Spain, I mean, tactically... Uh, you might be be able to beat them, but technically, you, you know, they're one of the best teams in the world, and you know the the way they pass the ball, and I think they are the best team in the world, especially this generation of Spanish players. If they don't want to give you the ball, they won't let you have a sniff of it. And going there and playing four two four and thinking that you're going to, you know, out out attack Spain, what they'll do is just to just sit back low and then they'll counter attack you and outroll you off the field and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Knut Aga Hayes-Gulstad has tweeted us in and said, just talk a bit about that nutmeg from Isco on Verratti. Is that the, sex- <laughs> is that the sexiest thing you've seen in football this year? Well, yeah, it was, it was it was pretty sexy, to be fair. It was really, really beautiful. But then again, I mean, Verratti, you know, Verratti, if you look at how he's used in PSG, he's one of, when he's used correctly, he's one of the best midfielders in the world. But when we, we saw that insecurity that was running through the whole Italian midfield and through the Italian team, Verratti was all over the place. Uh, they weren't able to win the ball. They weren't able to create anything. And in midfield, they, I mean, they gave Isco the time and space to do just that. And that's why he, you know, he completely humiliated Verratti. Is is that the reason why um, Verratti doesn't seem to play as well for club as or for country as he does for club? Is that he's being played slightly out of position? Well, I think you know when you, I mean, if you look at yeah, I agree, I agree with that. That's exactly part of it. But also, this tactic doesn't suit him. It doesn't suit the Italian players. Um, you know, the, he, Ventura had some minor success playing this this kind of football. But I mean, if if you look at if you look at it on paper, two years ago in 2016, Italy had during my lifetime on paper the worst team they've ever had. But um, if you look at uh, the coach they had, they probably had, if not the best, or one of the best coaches they've ever had in my lifetime, and that's why they beat Spain two nil, and went, you know went so far as they did, and only lost to Germany on penalties thanks to Simone Pepe and his fantastic take on interpretation of uh, spot kicks. But I mean, if but if you look at now, this team is, is is actually pretty good. They've got some quality players, and it's looking better than it has in, in almost a decade. 
So it's it's just about getting the right coach in to get the best out of these players. And uh, Ventura and Prandelli aren't those aren't those coaches. Ancelotti, Conte, they they are those coaches. Uh, what about Buffon? Some people were saying that this was a game that this game was a sign that he's finally passed his prime. Is that something that oh. you that you would agree with? I've heard that for about 15 years now. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to take that seriously. But look, I mean, he's, he, he has said he's going to retire after the World Cup. Uh, so that, that's what he's going to do. He's not past his prime. He, he showed last season uh, in the Champions League and in, and in the Serie A that he, you know, this guy is, is a phenomenon. He, 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 he's still an incredible professional. He still lives and eats and trains as hard as he'd done when he was 17. So, no, I think the insecurity that people saw against Spain wasn't just a Buffon issue. It was, a, it was an Italy issue. It was a tactical issue. It was The team was not in balance, and therefore Verratti looked like a, like a Serie B player like a championship player, and Buffon looked like he was past it. So I think as long as they have Ventura, this will, this will happen against the better teams. Uh, they will play really well against the smaller, quote-unquote, teams, uh, but they will fail against the big teams. I mean, you know, playing like this against Germany, Germany or, or Brazil or Argentina, they'll lose big. Um, and... Uh, and that's kind of what I predict will happen in the World Cup. They they will they will get to the World Cup, but they will they will crash out in the you know second round quarterfinals, depending on the draw if they play a quality team. And Ventura will be sacked, and then we'll finally get a good coach, and things will be back to normal. <laughs> well, yeah, let, let's hope let's let's hope so for the sake of Italy. Uh, back to the domestic scene this week. Anything that fans of Serie A should be looking out for? Well, um, the Italian, uh, the Lega Calcio, uh, the Italian, uh, the Italian FIG, FA, and the people who organise the Serie A, they've brought in this VAR VAR system to that that that's supposed to help the referees, um, the video uh, system to to kind of when when there's a if the referee hasn't seen it, if he you know it's 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 a system to kind of assist the referee when he hasn't seen a situation whether to decide if it's a penalty or not uh, if, if it's offside or not and it's uh, it's been used uh, in, in the first two rounds and it's been heavily criticized because in Italy whenever there is change people will criticize it if there isn't any change they'll criticize that it's part of the Italian culture waving your hand around and being annoyed generally and loving arguments uh, that, that's that's the Italian way but um, it's, it's really interesting because I think it, it has kind of destroyed or it will destroy this this never-ending arguments and discussions about referees being bought uh, referees being you know bribed when not you know giving the call against uh, the penalty call against Juventus or Milan or Inter or whatever so I think this it's, it's been it has I mean it's been the fact that it's the technology is being used is a good thing however the criticism against it has been that the, the interruption of two, three, four minutes uh, of for the referee to look at it, um, to look at the situation and going to make a decision, uh, that kind of ruins the, the 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 run of play. And there is a point to that, but I mean, these are just teething issues. I think if you look at, for example, a different sport, uh, the NA, uh, ice hockey in the NHL, they have like a war room where they have four or five, uh, you know, 
uh, officials somewhere else looking at all the games at the same time going through every uh, going through every situation and uh, you know telling the referee if he should if he decides decides to use this system whether or not you know what their recommendation is uh, so i think that's something they can use going forward but i mean it's 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 pretty interesting i think this is the future of football i mean as you know first we had you know goal line technology which 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 has been a complete success and now we have this i think this this is this will finally put an end to all those debates and discussions oh that's a bit of a shame it's one of the things i quite like about football actually <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's one thing about discussing, but I mean, getting the call right is 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 something that um, if you're on the losing side of it, you'll never forget. It. I think you know the Germans are still saying that the ball was never over the line since '66, and you know, and 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 they got a little taste back of that in, in 2010 when the ball was definitely over the line, but the goal, but the goal was never given. I think if you ask Frank Lampard or the English, I think they'd rather have had that goal line technology back then. And then you know, football is about. I mean, um, we've got the technology now, so why not use it? That was Nima Tavle from Sempre Inter, our Italian correspondent, so to speak. I'd forgotten about that Simone Pepe penalty. It was sort of a bit like performance art, wasn't it? Like yeah. a, the, a radical... Zaza, re- the Zaza, oh, Zaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. penalty. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, like a sure. radical interpretation of what a penalty can actually be. Like There's that like great be- gif, isn't there, where it's just his legs going oh, forever, like it never, like he never stops. like he'd just seen a Roberto Carlos free kick the day before and couldn't get it out of his head or something. <laughs> and his feet, were, uh, his feet were destined to do that. VAR. I I genuinely hope it doesn't come to Premier League football. Mm. I'm I just, I'm on the fence about it very there, much. There so. have been teething issues in Germany as well. So I don't know if you've seen that in the Bundesliga. We covered a little bit of that um, last week. Yeah, yeah, and especially with offsides, uh, they can't call marginal offsides yet because the technology where it actually draws an imaginary line across the pitch isn't working. Mm. Um, yeah, I I think overall it's going to be good. I, I hate the idea that teams win leagues or lose, you get relegated and lose millions because... Yeah, but what would you talk about then? Because someone was 10 feet offside and the ref couldn't spot it. It's ridiculous. I, penalties, I know it's been used in Serie A for penalties. I think that's a bit trickier because of grey areas. Yeah. But offsides, I think, as soon as they can implement it without so much fuss, it should be used. I found it funny there was a problem in the championship a couple of weeks ago with goal line technology. They've, they've got a goal line technology in the championship for the first time uh, this season. And they had a problem with games whereby it starts in daylight and goes into floodlight. There's a problem with the lighting and the way the sort of cameras work. They did not, for some stadiums, they've not factored it in and they couldn't have it for, for certain games on this. I think they might have fixed it now, but at the time it was like, yeah, they had to announce that no goal line technology tonight. Huh. Poor chaps. Anyway, that's all from us today. My thanks to Dan Lewis, Nima, and our producer Damo. We'll be back next week. Speak then, and thanks for listening. I love-